0: You're listening to Last Word Radio, where you, you, you get the last word. Welcome back, everyone, to the Last Word Podcast. We are on episode 10 now. My name is Jordan Daly. With me, as always, I have my co-hosts, Michael White and Stacy Collier. Say what's up, guys. Yo, what's up? What's going on, everybody?
1: What's going on, everybody? Glad to be back for another episode.
0: This week, we do have a guest. It's one of the writers from our department, Last Word on Sports, um, you can visit us at LastWordOnProBasketball.com. We have uh, writer Barkev Savaslian. He's our resident Toronto Raptors fan. Uh, Barkev, introduce yourself.
2: Oh, you forgot uh, you forgot editor L.O.S. LWOS underscore Raptors Twitter manager. You've got to leave there that out in my there introduction. Go.
0: There you go. My bad. Can't leave out that whole portfolio. That's not me. <laughs> no,
2: thank you for having me. It's great to be here.
0: Anytime. I know you've been trying to get on for a while, so we're Absolutely. glad to uh, be able to work it out for once.
2: Um <laughs>
0: So just so we can get our listeners to know a little bit more about you, uh, let's start you off. What's your favorite team?
2: I got to rep the Toronto Raptors. Are you you from Toronto? I'm from a city like about an hour away outside of Toronto called Hamilton.
0: Have you been able to go to Jurassic Park at all for uh, these games?
2: Not for these games. You see, the 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 fans are a little like really amped up. So like the lines start at a ridiculous time and I can't (laughs) make it out there.
0: How does Jurassic Park work? Is it like a closed thing that you got to wait in line to get to or can anyone just go and fill it up?
2: Well, they've expanded it this year for this finals. I don't think they were anticipating how many people would definitely show out. When I went, they just had the one section that is like most prominently shown on camera, which is like directly outside of the arena's main entrance where they have like the giant screen set up. See, it's about like, it is about like a space for like, like 250 people.
0: So how big is the expansion?
2: The expansion, oh, you know, it scales all the way down the street. Like, So it's, it's called Maple Leaf Square. So it's like this area where it's uh, kind of filters towards the uh, the arena. The street kind of has like a roundabout, then it goes kind of back down. They've expanded it in the ways that I don't know the numbers, but looks like over thousands of people can fit there. Wow. Yeah.
0: That that'd be a crazy environment to go to. I'd love to watch a game. Uh, Unfortunately, my Celtics don't do anything like that. But uh, you know, I got I got the Bruins going on right now. We got that for me.
2: Yeah, I'm probably the only Canadian that doesn't really care for hockey very much.
0: Yeah, I mean, Boston's a, Boston's a <laughs> hockey town at heart. It's been nuts. We had the uh, the cowboy guy. What's his name? Uh, horses in the back. I don't know. Whatever his name is. He Lil literally Nas came. X. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They did, like, a game one, like, hype-up thing in Boston, and they had uh, Lil Nas X and some country guy. And Lil Nas X literally came on stage. He was, like, the big act of the night. Performed that one song and then walked off. It was it was awesome. Sidetrack, Whatever. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Who is your favorite player? It can be on the Raptors, off the Raptors, one of each. doesn't matter. Just let us know.
2: Well, currently it's Kawhi Leonard, obviously. And if he's listening to this, Kawhi, you're my favorite player, and I hope you stay. Um, all time, though, I, it has to be Kobe Bryant. Kobe Bryant is how I got into yeah. the into the sport. I mean, honestly, my closest friends will tell you that, like, I'm actually a former Lakers fan. I used to support the team. That's how I really got introduced to the game of basketball. Was I was just captivated by the man. And he was, uh, you know, fantastic to watch.
0: Okay. So so let me ask you, if you say your current favorite player is Kawhi Leonard, mm-hmm. if he leaves you guys and goes to LA next season, is he still going to be your favorite player?
2: You know, he'll be one of my favorite players. He was one of my favorite players back in San Antonio. You know, cer- certain players that have a, they have a way of letting their game do the talking. And, you know, I really took notice of Kawhi in the Spurs Heat Finals. You know, like I think a lot of people did. And I didn't know really much anything about him. And then he's locking up LeBron and giving him fits. And. You know, the game really kind of speaks for itself. And I, and I love a two-way player.
0: Yeah, you definitely got to respect the way Kawhi plays his game. Like you mentioned, he, he lets his ability on the court speak for him. He's not going to be like Draymond Green talking trash in the press conferences. He let, leaves it all on the floor. And then you got to respect that. It's very hard to find nowadays. Um, but moving on a little bit, what's your favorite moment in NBA history?
2: In NBA history, my favorite moment... Um... You know, I have to go to Kobe Bryant again. Uh, it was 2006. It was the first round against uh, the Phoenix Suns. It was in overtime. The uh, Kobe Bryant, there was a jump ball situation. The, uh, the Lakers had won the tip, and Kobe, uh, Kobe Bryant hit that game winning shot. So over Raja Bell, and I thank uh, Boris Dio. And it was just a monumental moment. He celebrated with Smush Parker, Lamar Odom, that entire uh, crop of quality players. Um, it was just, uh, that was like really my first fell in love with basketball and just the excitement and you know it was uh it was very captivating
0: it's awesome we love moments like that that kind of just make you fall in love with the game yeah, so definitely so glad to hear um all right so moving on we're glad you're with us uh let's continue with the episode uh before we start i just want to congratulate stacy collier he had one of his articles written for us featured in bleacher report it's the first one for our site i believe if i'm not mistaken um so it's a huge moment for him and our site as a whole so congratulations stacy that is awesome how are you feeling about that
3: I can't describe it. Like, it's one of those things where you work hard and you want it to happen, but you kind of think it, it won't happen, but it does And I mean, it, it's just a wonderful feeling. So uh, I just want to thank LWOs for giving me the platform to write on, to use my analytical thinking, and I appreciate it.
0: Awesome. We're glad to have you. You've definitely put in the work. You've been with us for a while, so uh, you definitely deserve that. Thank you. Anytime. All right, so let's get right into the episode. Michael, I feel bad. You've been quiet for this whole thing so far. Um, we're going to get right back into the NBA Finals. Uh, last time we talked, uh, n- none of the games have been played yet. So now we have two games to talk about, Game 1 and Game 2. Uh, let's start with Game 1. Obviously, the Toronto Raptors won. They took that 1-0 lead against the Golden State Warriors. Kind of showed that, all right, they're here to play. They can be a real threat. So so let's just get into that, that conversation a little bit. Obviously, Pascal Siakam stood up. He had a great game, 32 points, shooting 14 on 17, eight rebounds, five assists, two blocks and a steal. He definitely shined for that team. And uh, one of our writers that did the postgame recap even wrote about that. Um, So you can definitely go read about that. But let's start with you, Barkev. Mm -hmm. How do you feel about your Toronto Raptors taking that 1-0 lead at the time?
2: You know, I was very nervous because when they won the game, I was expecting the entire way Golden State to make that run in that fourth quarter in game one. And, you know, it just it never happened, even though I felt like the score kind of called for it it was close within like 10 points, kind of that whole way. But you just kind of expected them to turn that switch on and it didn't happen. And, you know, after game one with the 1-0 lead, I I didn't feel secure with that because I was more nervous about how Golden State was going to respond in game two. Even before game two today, I was just I was just a wreck. I was just so nervous. I was more nervous this time than, you know, even game seven against Philly when you're facing a champion, a champion that's been there for a long time. You know they have a different kind of level of experience, and they've got old tricks that can get them going. So I was very curious to see how they would go.
0: Yeah, definitely. What about you, Michael? Let's get you talking.
2: I was really impressed with Toronto
1: in Game 1, especially from their role players. Like you said, Siakam had 32. Gasol had 20 points and 7 rebounds. So... Even on a night where Kawhi Leonard struggled offensively, and that's credit to Golden State's defense, you had these guys that, you know, I picked Siakam to be my X factor for this series simply because when he scores, they're great. When he's being aggressive and actually taking shots and not just looking to pass it off to Kawhi, the Raptors tend to win more. But as we can see, well, we're not talking about game two, and when he's not on his game, things are a little bit different. But as far as going back to game one, It was definitely just a punch in the mouth from, you know, the underdog in the boxer fight. Golden State, you know, they swept Portland. They pretty much had an easy series with them. Raptors are coming off, you know, going against the number one seed in the East. So they came out and punched him in the mouth first. You know, up there in Toronto with Barkev, I'm sure everything was (laughs) exciting Uh, all the energy was flowing right. And even though their star player didn't come out and have a great offensive night, he played great on the defensive end. He, he was causing turnovers just like everybody else. Van Fleet was amazing off the bench. I think he had 15 or 17 points. So it was all just a collective effort by Toronto in game one, and that's how they were able to come out and win.
0: You brought up a good point. So, Barkev, I want to kind of go back to you. Um, yeah. Obviously, this is the first time that Toronto's gone to the NBA Finals. What's the city like right
2: now? It's it's tremendous. You know, you go along the main streets, and there's some tremendous graffiti. Uh, you know, murals being done by like quality, like tremendously quality artists. You know, they had one of the Kawhi shot of uh, after Game Seven against the uh, Philadelphia 76ers when you know Kawhi had that hand stretched out, and now they've expanded that and have more about. Uh, the entire team is encompassed on the same mural and they had uh, they had an interesting one uh, with kawaii and a crown with the king in the north and it was really well done uh, all the cities are really getting behind it a lot of uh, the instagram accounts uh, that are running up like bakeries or just businesses of any kind they're always finding a way to find uh, find a way to put the toronto raptors branding and capitalize off of that uh, you, know, the, you know the eyeballs that are on it because it just seems the entire city and you know, even the neighboring cities around the whole, you know, greater Toronto area, they're just, uh, they're all the way behind it. They even expanded Jurassic Park to, you know, cities like Mississauga. Um, even in Halifax, they extended it out. They showed it on the TSN broadcast. You know, it's its not just Toronto, even though Toronto is like the main center of the excitement, it's really outstretched to the entire uh, country.
0: That's crazy. That's something I wish I could see for sure. I definitely want to try to make my way up to Toronto eventually. Uh, Stacy, what were your thoughts on uh, Game 1?
3: Out the gate. I knew the Raptors was going to take Game 1. Just looking at, <laughs> <laughs> just looking and hearing about the atmosphere, the pregame stuff. Drake going crazy. Jurassic Park going wild. They brought out the alumni from the past. It, it was just all set up for the Raptors to take it. I was really impressed with Pascal Siakam. Not him scoring 32 points. But more so his efficiency. He was 14 or 17 from the floor. That's crazy for a player that young in his first NBA Finals game to be that efficient. And I'm, I've i been thoroughly impressed with Fred Fanfleet. He probably deserves a mass contract after this. Man, <laughs> he's he been going crazy. He's been going wild, shooting the ball lights out. But the number one thing that does it for me with the Raptors is their defense in game one. They bother Golden State all night. Golden State did not go on that famous third-quarter run they usually go on, and they was held to about 43% shooting the whole night. So I was thoroughly impressed with the Raptors in game one.
0: Yeah, you you definitely brought up a good point. Like Toronto's role players have definitely been standing out. Obviously, you expect Kawhi to perform the way he is and maybe even better. But yeah, the role players definitely impressed me. Siakam, Fred Van Fleet, you mentioned. Um, Fred Van Fleet, the entire playoffs, really, um. What was it? The the last series when he he was dropping threes like there's no tomorrow. So so definitely a good job by the the role players. But uh, one thing about the Toronto Raptors now is I feel like you can't really talk about the Raptors anymore, especially when they're at home, without talking about Drake. And mm-hmm. I think everyone knows what I'm talking about here. Considered like the biggest bandwagon fan in the world. Like every picture he takes, he's in some New Jersey, repping some new team from some different city. And, and he's kind of under fire now because he shows up at game one. This cocky guy wearing a Del Curry Toronto Raptors jersey, obviously the father of Steph Curry, with Golden State Warriors tattoos. He has, I believe, Kevin Durant and Steph Curry's tattoo on, on his forearm. Obviously, he had a band that covered it up. And, and, you know, he's just talking trash on the sidelines. And, you know, he kind of got some, some backlash for the way he acted on the, the sidelines, going up to the coach, giving him shoulder rubs, and definitely getting way more involved than a fan should be um and one of you guys brought up a point earlier before we started recording even um that you know no one else is gonna do that no one else is gonna get away with that if it's just a random fan doing all that stuff he's gonna get kicked out so Drake's definitely getting a long leash with this um you know he even went up to Draymond Green um I believe it was during a timeout call or something and screaming at him that he's trash you know you you just can't be doing that so so that whole Drake beef with the Warriors it's been it's been a wild ride what are your thoughts on that Michael
1: Uh, well, I mean, look, when you come to Toronto, understand you are in the presence of the sixth God, Drake. I mean, he's, I was talking to one of my friends earlier and I was like, uh, it was right before the game tonight and he was like waving at all the kids who were dancing and stuff before. I was like, he's Toronto's Obama. Everybody likes him. He comes out, he just waves his hands and it's all good. Look, it's Drake, man. I, I don't have any problems with it. If, you know, the Warriors felt some type of way about what Drake was saying or what he's doing, his antics... Then you come out and you beat you beat the Raptors. You shut them up. You, you come out and you blow their team out and you make them sit down. Then they'll have nothing to say. You know, he's only going to chirp when, you know, the Raptors are winning. So I, I don't really have a problem with it. I mean, we've seen other owners be eccentric on the side, even though he's not an owner. But, you know, big celebrities like this are always on the sidelines. Spike Lee is one of the famous ones. So I have no problem with Drake and what he's doing. Hey, if you don't like it, shut him up.
0: All right, Stacy. What about you? I
3: love the energy that that Drake is bringing. Breathe new life into the Toronto Raptors. I mean, he always had put on for Toronto, ever since he been coming up in the in the hip hop game. You know, just think about it. The years that he has been coming up, where has the Raptors have gone? So there was no need in his mind to support them. Now there's need to support them. They are in their first ever NBA Finals. So. I, I love the energy he's putting on for Toronto. Now I don't know about him calling Draymond Green trash, but uh, everything else I don't have a problem with. Like Mike said, if you want to stop Drake, you better just beat the Raptors. Just beat them. He'll sit down. He'll be quiet. But, you know, I love the
0: energy that Drake is bringing. All right. As a Canadian, Barkev, what's your stance on Drake?
2: Um, I'm a big fan. I, I love the music, but even as a court courtside personality, I mean, for as long as he's had those courtside seats, he's always been like causing a ruckus. It's not the first time he's been uh, causing havoc, even in playoff situations, but it's like the biggest stage. So it gets the most attention. I think, uh, I think I have to agree with both. It, it's, it's, uh, it's harmless. It's good. It gets, it's good attention. I think, uh, if there was ever a situation where it crossed the line, we would all know immediately. And, you know, it's one of those things where if it definitely crossed the line, like, it would be very black and white. And uh, even calling Draymond trash, you know, the camera that got that shot, we couldn't really see what Draymond was saying, but I'm sure it wasn't particularly uh, very kind. But, you know, I think it's all good quality competition and banter. And plus, these guys are all friends anyway.
3: Yeah, they all cool.
0: Fair. Fair. I have a good point. I can't really argue that, I guess. Um, but let's lead this right into Game 2 of the NBA Finals. Um, obviously, Golden State took the lead. It came down to the wire almost. Golden State went up big time, and this was kind of the storyline of the game. Uh, early on in the third quarter, Golden State went on a 20 to nothing run, which kind of gave them the, the win. Um, but but toward, towards the end of the game, Toronto did kind of come back a little bit. I believe it was like a five- or six-point game at one point. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, but, yeah, it definitely came down to the end. I think Andre Iguodala hit a dagger to kind of close it off and seal it with like 5.9 seconds left. Um, but yeah, the series is tied now, guys. So let's let's see where you have to stay with this. We'll start with you this time, Stacey.
3: That third quarter by the Golden State Warriors really put them over the top. I think the problem was, one, the Raptors, they tried to push the ball against the Golden State Warriors, and you really can't do that because they're going to tire you out. They run up and down the court all game long, and you you cannot run with them. It's Almost impossible to run with them. And then, two, the players that were prominent, that played a prominent role in game one, didn't have a great game two. For instance, Pascal Siakam, he went from scoring 32 points to just 12 on five or 18 shooting. Then, Marcus Saw, he went from scoring 20 to just six, and he was only two or seven. So, they didn't step up in game two. The Warriors, they imprinted their brand of basketball again in the second half. It was close. It was close because, you know, Toronto, they are gritty. They are tough, but the Warriors pulled it out. And also, well, I think what happened to the Raptors is the the calls were kind of getting into the head a little bit. It was a lot of questionable calls and it kind of stopped the streak of, of the Raptors. They had to stop and then keep going. So all those factors factored in into why they lost
0: game two. Yeah, you definitely brought up a good point about Pascal Siakam. I was going to bring it up earlier, but it's just crazy to think how he kind of blew up in Game 1 and then kind of came into Game 2 and wasn't really that big of a factor. Um, What are your thoughts on that situation, uh, Barkov?
2: It was just a tale of two halves. You know, in the first half, it seemed the Raptors were able to get in stride rather quickly and they were controlling the pace. They had really stifled uh, the Warriors' ability to kind of get out and transition and really kind of get some easy points on the board. But uh, that third quarter, man, when you go down on a twenty-nothing run, it, that's hard to make up those points. You know, it's it's one of those things where if you're down twenty-five in a blowout, you think, you know, I'd have to go, you know, on a twenty-to-nothing run to even make this game interesting. And that, that's basically what happened for Golden State. And you know, the Raptors won the first, second, and fourth quarters, but you know, being outscored, you know, thir- by thirteen points in that third quarter was the, the main difference.
0: True, very true, Michael. What about you?
1: Um, yeah, I agree with both of you guys. Just to go off what Stacy was saying earlier, the Raptors just trying to keep up with that pace tonight. It just didn't work simply because they just couldn't hit shots. You know, last game they were they shot 39 percent from three last game. Then you switch that over to tonight where they only shot 28 percent from three. I mean, the Raptors had their chances even with that run that happened. They had their chances to get back in the game and they went out and they missed a lot of shots. The, those first five minutes, like you guys said, in the third quarter, the Raptors were 0 for 8. And then, as we know, the Warriors went on a 20-0 to 0 run. So, for me, it was just the lack of being able to hit open shots. As we said, I've always struggled with having confidence in the role players for the Raptors. I know they're deep. I know they're talented. But... Like I was saying earlier in the playoffs, there's been times where you wonder where Siakam is, where you wonder where Mark Gasol is, or you wishing Danny Green would have more of an impact on the game like they did in game one. But when you look at tonight, Gasol had, I believe, what, seven or eight points? I think Danny Green had eight. It just wasn't enough to complement everything they needed to stop the Warriors. And a big thing from the Warriors I saw that I thought was key was better ball movement tonight. You know, the first game, the Raptors got up in them. They were physical, and it kind of disrupted their offensive flow. But tonight, they had 34 assists compared to the Raptors' 17. So that just shows me they were moving the ball more. They were finding the open open guy. They were hitting cutters, and they were just making the game easier for them. So that was the tale of the story tonight for me as the Warriors went on to win.
0: All good points. And one thing to consider moving forward, um, I'm surprised no one else brought it up yet, but Klay Thompson going down with an injury. It was hamstring tightness, uh, post-game conferences, Steve Kerr. Uh, he considered the injury minor, but we, we've heard coaches say that before to kind of defer the attention away from it. Um, but, you know, he, he was limping to the bench. He, he looked like he was in a little bit of pain. So that, that kind of leads to the question of what's next for this series. You know, uh, Clay hurt, Kevin Durant hurt. You know, what other injuries are going to factor this series, and is it really going to make an effect at all? Uh, we'll start with you, Stacey.
3: We don't know when Kevin Durant is going to come back or if he's even going to show up in the NBA finals. With that being said, they better hope Klay Thompson can go for game three. They better hope because without Klay and without KD, the Warriors have almost no chance of beating the Raptors. They need those two players. Those two players are going to put them over the top, especially Kevin Durant. Because Kevin Durant is a matchup problem for almost any player that he faced. he He'll give Kawhi Leonard a couple buckets, but they they need Klay Thompson. They definitely need Klay Thompson. They're not
0: going to do well without him. Yeah, I would definitely agree. I mean, even Vegas agrees with you. I mean, without Kevin Durant, uh, Toronto Raptors are the favorite to win the whole series. If you take Klay Thompson away from that, I, I don't see them standing a chance. That's down two all-stars. Um, I, I don't even see how Golden State would compete after that um but then again i've said it before i'll say it again i will never again doubt the golden state warriors so so we'll see where that goes michael what are your thoughts on it
1: um i agree if they lose clay thompson i mean i picked the raptors to win anyway but if they lose clay thompson they're going to be in a world of trouble like when like tonight when we saw him go out They just switched to like a box and one and basically had somebody out there, uh, whether it be Van Fleet or whoever on Curry and everybody else, just stacked the box and paid attention. I mean, it's going to it's going to be that simple and easier for the Raptors to guard the Warriors if they lose a splash, brother. So I think it's very imperative that Klay Thompson comes back to play. And also, as far as Kevin Durant, like like you guys said, we don't know when he's coming back. We don't know how close he is to coming back. There was like a report he was limping onto the plane to Toronto. Now, all of a sudden, he's doing court work. So I, I just don't know where that's going to be. So a lot is up in the air. Granted, Golden State did what they wanted to accomplish. They they stole one on the road here in Toronto. But Chloe Thompson needs to play if these guys are going to win. I just don't see it happening without him on the court.
0: OK, Barkev, any input?
2: losing clay for any extended amount of time would definitely be detrimental to the warriors. Like what they want to do in the series, which I think is extended out to get to the point where Kevin Durant is hopefully expected to come back. What the report was game three or game four is possible for him to come back. Uh, You know, like you said, we we all don't know about what's going to happen with Kevin Durant and his injury, but with clay Thompson, you, you can't really sacrifice even, you know, game three without him. The Raptors, you know, they have the depth at the position with Norman Powell, Danny Green, and you know Fred VanVleet giving them quality minutes. That backcourt is going to be very stressed uh, for you know Steph Curry, and I imagine Quint Cook and Sean Livingston shoulder that burden. And an injury I don't think we mentioned is Andre Iguodala took a very hard screen from Marcus Sall during the game today. I thought maybe even could have possibly been concussed. It was a, it was a nasty fall. He was, took some time on the floor, and and uh, Kevin Looney as well. It's a pretty rough spot for Golden State at this point. Very true.
0: They're the injury squad this year. That was the Celtics last year. So I'm just glad it's not us anymore. Um, but but moving forward, and let's assume that Clay the injury was minor. He's back the next game, and let's say KD comes back game four, game five. Where's this series going? Who's winning it? How many games? Uh, Barkev, since we haven't asked you this yet, we'll start with you.
2: You know, it's there's so many factors, but I gotta stay with the Raptors.
0: Any reason why do you have?
2: You know, obviously my hometown bias, but um, <laughs> you know, I just think that. I think they have more to play for. I really do think, I think that, uh, I think the warriors at this point, they had a lot of loose threads and when they start getting pulled and a you know, hamstring injury is a loose thread that can be pulled and, you know, Kevin Durant, you know, we never know. And I just think uh, for them to unravel, it's very possible whether as the Raptors. I think they have a lot of players that are very hungry to get this first championship guys like Serge Baca, Marcus and even a uh, long time Raptor, Kyle Lowry. I just, I would just give them the edge. I think they're going to be hungry. I think they're going to learn from this. They're going to, learn from this game two loss uh, the same way I think they lost. Uh, they learned from the first two losses in the Milwaukee Eastern conference final series. You know, I, I trust Nick nurse and his ability to make adjustments. So I think the Raptors can win this out in six or, you know, even seven. Okay.
0: All right, Michael, what about you? Yeah, I,
1: I agree. I'm sticking with my pick Raptors in seven. Um, there, there was no way the Raptors thought they were going to sweep the Warriors. So at some point they had to lose the, the Warriors are a championship team. They've been here five years in a row, but I'm still sticking with the Raptors in seven, simply because when I look at the teams, I still like the depth of the Raptors over the Warriors. And like like Barkev just said, a hamstring issue here. Kevin Durant hurt. Steph Curry had to go to the locker room for a little while tonight. Iggy was down on the floor for a while. So it just seems like they're one bad luck injury away from, you know, losing a key player for this team. And I just think at the same time, when you look at the Raptors, Ananobi's supposed to, might be, I believe he was active tonight. He might be coming back soon. Even if they were to lose a bench player, they still have guys like Jeremy Lin who haven't even touched the court. So I just think the depth that the Raptors have, and I just believe they have so many options that can randomly give you 20 on a on a random night, whether it be Siakam one night, or maybe it's Gasol, or, hey, maybe uh Paul Powell goes off and hits, Four or five threes. It's just so many options for them. I think they'll stick it out and win this in seven. They were going to have to lose some games eventually, though.
0: Yeah, you brought up a lot of good points. And I mean, last last week's episode, I I I said that I predicted the Golden State Warriors to win it, but but after seeing the first two games and you know a lot of the points you guys brought up about injuries, I'm definitely switching to Toronto. Um, even though I said I'll never doubt the Warriors again, but the the injuries, they're there. You can't not see them. You know, especially with KD, we don't know when he's coming back and clay's leg injury like that could build up while on the other hand toronto they're getting players back like og you mentioned and they, they still have those guys in the bench like Jeremy lynn and Jeremy Lin's not by any means a bad player he's he's proven himself that he can perform on the court so so just the depth and another one and one of you guys brought up mentality um toronto absolutely has more to play for they've never been there especially guys like kyle lowry who, who's been loyal to his team and and he's been trying for years to get his team to where they are now mentality is that they need to win. They need to win. And guys like Marc Gasol, who's a vet, who, who wants to win a ring. and Golden State's been there, done that. For them, it's like, oh, yeah, we, we kind of expect this. They're definitely going to get laxed days go a little bit. I think that's going to hurt them in the long run. Um, Stacey, what are your thoughts? You
3: Clay Klay Thompson is healthy, and Kevin Durant comes back. I'm still leaning towards the Warriors in sixth. For me, this is the whole head-versus-heart thing. Like, my head says... Golden State, but my heart, wants Toronto to win. But if they have those two guys on the floor, then Golden State's going to pull off at six. And they have to pull off at six because if it goes to game seven, then that can spell trouble for them on the road in that environment. Look what happened in game one. But one of the reasons why that I'm leaning towards the the Warriors is because I don't know what to expect from the other Toronto Raptors players. Like, for instance, we just talked about Siakam and Gasol how they were good to great in game one, but then in game two, they fell off. They, they're they hot and cold at night and day, and the Warriors, they're consistent throughout. And don't forget, that first championship with this team before it came to Durant back in 2015, they were down 2-1 to the Cleveland Cavaliers, and they won four straight. So they've been through an adverse situation before. So I'm still leaning towards Golden State to win it in 6
0: Okay. All right, I like that there's some differentiating opinions here. We got something to fight about next week. Um, but let, let's move on from the finals a little bit. gone pretty in-depth with that, so let's move on to some different subjects. Um, before we do that, though, we're going to get into our Player of the Week segment. Unfortunately, Yusuf couldn't join us this week, so our own Michael is going to take it from here for the Player of the Week segment.
1: All right, so for this week... Our player of the week, it was tough. It was a lot of guys to consider. Like you guys were saying, Van Vleet played excellent so far. Klay Thompson's been doing his thing. But going with Draymond Green of the Golden State Warriors. So even in that game one loss, he had a triple-double with the 10-10-10. This guy wakes up and gets tra- triple-doubles in his sleep at times. He always steps his game up in the playoffs. And even a game tonight where they won, he had 17 points. 10 rebounds and 9 assists. So, well, what did you guys think about Draymond Green this week? And Do you have any problem with him being our player of the week? I'll start with you, Jordan.
0: Absolutely not. I think I think he did what he needs to do on the court. Um, you know, he's a great two-way player, obviously defensively minded. It was tough, obviously. I was thinking about Siakam, especially after his game one performance, but his lacklustre playing game 2 just kind of excluded him from that list of player of the week.
1: Yeah, I agree. And another thing about Siakam really struggling the second game, Draymond Green said he was going to step his defense up on Siakam. And we definitely saw that tonight. What did Siakam shoot like five of 18 or something like that? So it's not it, good. Yeah, it wasn't good at all. So Draymond Green really locked that up. Like he said he was going to do after Siakam burned him in game one. Uh, Stacy, what did you what do you think about Draymond Green being the player of the week?
3: I agree with the choice with Jeremiah Green being a player of the week. He's been very impactful. He's been consistent, especially in game two. He did step up defensively. He almost had triple-double game two, went six and 12 on the floor. He's been the glue that held the Warriors together in this game. I was so close to picking Fred VanVleet because he's been doing good, too. He's been consistent both games. But I'm really going with Draymond, though, on this one because he's been impactful. And he got them to win in game
1: two. Yeah, Fred Van Vliet had had a great play. Ever since, like we said, ever since he had his child, he's been great in the playoffs. And it was really, really close. But I I, I picked the edge on Draymond just because the all-around stats factor. Barkev, what do you think about Draymond Green?
2: I have to agree. I think it's hard to pick against Draymond um, for all the reasons that were just said. Um, Even in game one, where, uh, you know, third year player, relatively unknown prior to the playoffs to the mainstream, Pascal Siakam went off with a crazy high percentage. So, you know, Draymond gets the heat of how you let this player go off on you like that. So I thought the way he responded, saying that, you know, he takes the responsibility for it. He has to be the one to facilitate their defense and get them at the level they need to play at. And I think he showed that in great uh in game two. Draymond Green's a definite pick for player of the week for me.
1: Yeah, it, just his energy alone, what it provides for the Warriors is definitely something that keeps their engine going. Like they they feed off of his defense, his intensity. And I, I've liked the way he's really settled down and not really argued with the refs too much. I think he argued a little bit tonight, but it's definitely a noticeable difference. So Draymond Green is definitely one of the main components of this Warriors team. But that's all we have. That's Draymond Green for our Player of the Week this week.
0: Awesome. Thank you very much, Michael. Awesome work. Okay. Moving on, the next topic we have, it was some breaking news that the Rockets are now open to trade any player. They are now seeing themselves as rebuilding, which is surprising saying that they are a playoff team. They made the playoffs year after year um, with their star players being James Harden and Chris Paul. Where does that put their team? You know? Is that surprising to you guys? Do you think that they could have held on to them and made another playoff run? What are your thoughts on that whole situation? We'll start with you, Barkov.
2: I feel so bad for Houston. You know, you know, they just couldn't get over that hump to reach the finals. It's ter- it's, got, it's got to be really trying on the locker room. You know, even D'Antoni not getting his extension or the extension talks toxically falling apart. I think it's still too fresh from the loss against Golden State, to be completely honest. I think, though, over the summer, I think when the deals start to present themselves or lack thereof, I don't know very many teams that are would be willing to... Take on a Chris Paul because you know very serious cap considerations there. Uh, He would take up a lot of the team's salary, so to get that kind of even value would be difficult. But I think they, I think they're just a piece or two away. They they didn't have Trevor Ariza this year, so I think that hurt them. Um, I I would expect them to rebound. I think James Harden is one of the greats. uh, Arguably, could have been the MVP this year. Might be if Giannis doesn't you know take it. But uh, I I think they'll be okay. I, I don't expect too many crazy changes from Houston.
0: Okay. What about you, Stacey?
3: I expect some changes from Houston. Like they're still a playoff team. They're still a dangerous team, even going into next season. You know, I expect them to stay together for the most part. But saying they're open to trade any player, come on now, you're not going to trade James Harden. You're not going to trade James Harden. You're going to keep him. And also, who's going to take on Chris Paul's contract? Nobody. So they're they're going to be stuck with him. They just need to get. Couple more pieces in there. Get some wing players. Get a big man who can, you know, score. Get rebounds down low. Get some bench players. In my opinion, they only have like Eric Gordon as the reliable player off the bench, so they're gonna need some more of that. They just need subtle changes. They don't need to make huge, big
0: changes. Yeah, it definitely surprises me. I mean, like, imagine if you're Harden, right? You're a candidate for MVP, and then you hear that your team is open to trading you, like. Harden's been so loyal to that team. And it definitely begs the question of, all right, you know, why, why would they do that to him? So if, if I'm Harden, I kind of want out of that situation now, knowing that they're willing to just throw me aside like that. Michael, what are your thoughts?
1: First off, like they said, you're not trading James Harden. I, Harden. I know they said everybody's available, but James Harden is not available. Let's just go ahead and call it what it is. What this is, is everybody else, though. I mean, if you can find a trade for Chris Paul then do it. But like Stacy said, who is going to want that? At 37, I think he's going to be making $42 million a year, and we saw how he performed this year. He was actually healthy in the playoffs, but he was nowhere... He wasn't even nowhere he, near the level he was last year in the playoffs. So, it, it's going to be tough, but I'm, I'm not surprised. Daryl Morey's the type of guy who likes to make moves, likes to change things up, see what works, see what doesn't, and, and he's going to make a move to stay aggressive and stay going after the Warriors, because... That's just the type of own owner he is, and he's going to do what he has to do. Um, I think their their smart bet is to try to piece get Capella out of there, piece him with something else, see what you can bring in. I think they need another wing player, someone else who can possibly, you know, handle the ball, create and score for themselves. But another avenue I think they should look at before they trade players is maybe firing Mike D'Antoni. I mean, mm. we, we've already seen that his his offense clearly is not working we've, we've seen different variations of it. Last year, it was more share of the ball. This year it was more ISO James Harden, but in the end, it just keeps coming up short. Maybe bring a different coach in with a different philosophy and you might be able to win with those same players. But I, I think we really need to start looking at Mike D'Antoni and wondering is, is his system ever going to be successful in the playoffs?
0: Yeah, it's definitely true. I mean, he's gotten to the playoffs, but I don't think he's gotten to the finals. So it's definitely something that they have to consider, but but another thing that Houston has to consider is if they are willing to do all these trades, who are they trying to build around? Uh, let's, let's assume they keep Harden because that was pretty much the consensus from all of us is they're not going to trade Harden. Are they trying to bring in some young talent from the draft or previous recent drafts? Are they trying to bring in another superstar? What's their cap space look like? Is there anyone in the free agency they're probably going to target? Um, what are your thoughts for Houston? What do you think would work best for their system right now? We'll start with you this time, Stacy. I
3: think they should give one more crack at it, one more year with Mike D'Antoni and try to go for a championship. So with that being said, they need to bring in a a star talent into their team and then also find some young pieces, you know, to build for the future just in case everything crumbles again. That way you will have something in place to keep your franchise going. So they should definitely bring in a star player, somebody on the wing, somebody in the post. Like Mike said, maybe consider trading Compella, package him up, some
0: draft picks, and then take it from there. Okay. What about you, Michael?
3: I think they
1: should try to package like a Capella, maybe an Eric Gordon, and go out and find another bona fide scorer for their team, even though I don't want this to happen because I want my Lakers options to be there. I think Bradley Beal is a nice person to look at. You keep Chris Paul, you add a Bradley Beal, Maybe, hey, sign Brooke Lopez. He's going to be a, a free agent this offseason to replace, replace Capella. Now, you got to convince the Wizards to take that trade. But I'm just saying that's kind of the route I would take it. I just think they need another guy who could take that pressure off James Harden because I don't, I've never thought Chris Paul was that type of scorer. You know, he's very talented, so he scores a lot. But I don't think he can take that exact weight off. I think he's more of the guy who takes the playmaking weight off of James Harden. I think they need another guy that could just say, hey, here's the ball. Go do your thing. Bradley Bill would fit right in. He's a shooter. He can knock down shots. He averaged a career-high 25 points a game this year. So – That's just me. Personally, that's where I think Houston should look. But they should definitely look to add in some veterans because they're trying to win now. So I don't think adding in young guys, unless it's an NBA-ready young guy, is really going to help them at this point.
0: Fair. That's a good point. But like you mentioned that you wanted to target Bradley Beal. How would that fit in with James Harden on the court as well?
1: Well, and that goes back to me saying maybe it's time to fire the coach and bring somebody in who can make these guys work together. Remember, people didn't think Chris Paul and James Harden were going to work last year. And they weren't playing that ISO style of ball last year. They were, it, was, it was more balanced. They were sharing the ball. Uh, it was a lot more ball movement. Only this year, Harden switched to the ISO game because of the injuries early in the season, and they just kept it rolling because they kept winning. I think uh, James Harden is a high enough IQ player to know that I, I can't do this all year. I-, I can't ISO all season long, then expect to come in the playoffs where the game is refereed different and do the same thing. It just doesn't work. He, he looked the gas. As soon as KD went out, and he had to chase Steph Curry all around that damn court, it was nothing. It was like, he, was, he was done. On offense, he was tired. He just didn't look the same. Like, we want him to look like the MVP James Harden. So, to me, when it comes to how's the fit going to happen, I think that starts with the coach. Who's going to come in and implement the right system?
0: Okay. Brockhead, what are your thoughts on Houston and the rebuilding and trade and different moving pieces?
2: Well, with the free agency this year being as interesting as maybe since 2010, when LeBron first hit free agency and you know left for Miami, and they had that whole thing, it's you know I think a lot of teams really are kind of in this wait and see approach to see what happens with Golden State because if Golden State loses a DeMarcus Cousins and a Kevin Durant, and you know who knows, even Clay Thompson somehow winds up in a different uniform, Houston's looking really good. I think uh, even you know all things considered of what what happened this year. Um, you know, expanding on trades and free agents. Um, I was actually thinking of a different trade with the Wizards. I was thinking, you know, what about a Chris Paul for John Wall trade? You know, John Wall is coming off that injury. You know, Houston would be taking a chance there. Um, Washington could really build around Bradley Beal and Chris Paul being a floor leader, a playmaker, could really kind of facilitate that. So, but I think it's all in a wait and see approach. Even with the firing of D'Antoni, I feel like he's going to be on the shortest leash ever. And, if uh, Houston doesn't jump off to a great start, you could see them, you know, looking beyond Mike D'Antoni because I don't even know if Mike D'Antoni wants to be in that situation if he's not going to. I think the contract talks with him and his extension completely just fell apart. Uh, he must have no bargaining power to kind of lean on with the fact that, you know, didn't they fell short this year. So um, I- I'm comfortable with the pieces they have. Uh, you know, even Eric Gordon, I think, is very solid his positions. Austin Rivers gave them, you know, great minutes. And even a late-season addition, uh, Kenneth Farid, I'd like to see what he could do uh, with a full season. I think he could have a really uh, you know resurgence to his career. But, um, you know, it'll be interesting. That Chris Paul contract's a tough nut.
0: Yeah, I would agree. My, my look on it is if they could get rid of Chris Paul and his contract and, you know, maybe some other high-paid players – um, there, There is one free agent that I'm thinking of that I think would be a good fit in Houston. Campbell Walker. He is a proven player, um, although he has said that he does plan on re-signing in Charlotte, but, you know, things change. You know, this season he averaged almost 26 points a game, six assists, and four rebounds. You know, he, he's a good all-around player, and then I think that Houston could definitely benefit from that, but that's a huge what-if. I mean, they'd have to get rid of players in the hopes that Kemba would sign with them, Um, but that's definitely something I think they they should explore. Um, I I definitely think that Harden needs another guard to play with, and uh, Chris Paul, like one of you guys said, is aging, Um, and I don't think that Harden can do it all alone, so uh, definitely something to keep in mind moving forward. Mm -hmm. Um, But with that, let's move forward into some draft news. The draft is coming up. Draft lottery is all set, so we know the order of the picking. Um, We're going to hold off on kind of our mock draft and and some more analytical and fun things like that for future episodes after the finals. Um, but for now, I figured we can at least talk about some news going around some prospects in the draft. So we're going to first start off with John Morant, currently predicted to go number two in the draft after Zion. Uh, it was announced by Adrian Wojnarowski that he's going to undergo minor knee surgery. Um, apparently, it's very minor, and he will be recovered 100% in three to four weeks. And the process is to remove a loose body that was found in his knee. Um, so, so with that, you know, any any surgery can be considered major surgery. That, that's just how the way it goes, especially with athletes. Surgery can completely change the way a player moves, um, pivots, adjusts, especially in the knee. That's such a pivotal position, part of your body when you're playing a sport. Do you think this changes his draft stock? Do you think this may make anyone want to second guess, or do you think that you know NBA scouts they already knew about this. This is not really news to them. We'll start with you, Michael.
1: For me. I have to look at it as a red flag, no matter how minor they say it is. Anytime you hear the word surgery with the word knee with a young player who jumps out the gym like John Morant does, I I just believe that's never a good sign. So it's definitely a red flag for me personally. As far as his draft status, do I think he'll drop? No, I think when you have a guy like that who has superstar potential, I think he's worth the risk. But it would still raise my eyebrows a little bit because knee surgery at the age of 19 already no matter how minor it is it's still you getting cut open it's still a surgery at the end of the day so definitely still a red flag I think he still ends up going to Memphis
0: okay Barkev what about you
2: yeah, the uh, same reasons. It's a, it's definitely a red flag, you know. You, don't, you it's something you hate to see with a young player than developing like a knee problem because you know knee injuries they never really go away. You're going to be dealing with that in some form or another your whole career. Like look at a guy like Kawhi Leonard, right? But I think if it was any other team picking at number two, I think Memphis is really desperate for a superstar, and you know they needed someone to be homegrown talent. Um, they'll take a chance on him if he even like you know causes to sit out a whole year. I think Memphis would take that chance regardless because they need a star. In, in the, te- in the ter- territory really badly.
0: Okay. Stacy. any different thoughts?
3: I don't think it's a red flag. I do think it's a yellow flag. I think John Morant is just taking uh, precautionary measures. He's just trying to store up something minor, so that way it won't turn into anything major. This won't change his draft stock at all. I think he's still going to get picked number two regardless. Memphis, they really coveted him. They really need him. They need a future star to build around. John Morant is one of the three, in my opinion, guaranteed stars to come out this draft, along with R.J. Barrett and Zion Williamson. So it, it's, it's something minor. It's just, like I said, precautionary details to make sure that he can have a long career.
0: Yeah, I'm definitely kind of on board with you guys. I think John Morant's now in the situation where he's high risk, high reward. Um, obviously, any kind of knee surgery can be re-injured. That, that's just how it happens. Um, so it's definitely something to be scared of and Michael you mentioned it, it's definitely it, it sucks to see any young prospect like him um, so I'm, I'm going to hope for the best with him and hope that it doesn't affect his career in the long run and I hope he has a successful career wherever he lands um, but no I don't, I don't see a change in his draft stock, I think he'll stay at two. Um, but also talking about one of the prospects we were just talking about R.J. Barrett and also funny enough, talking about the Memphis Grizzlies he refused to work out for the Memphis Grizzlies so even if that Memphis Grizzlies didn't want John Morant, RJ Barrett doesn't want to go there. So they're kind of leaving them with no option. What are your thoughts on that, Michael?
1: Well, he's already getting into NBA shape. (laughs) He's already trying to dictate where he's going to go, what he's going to (laughs) do, what he isn't going to do. Hey, look, if if these players sit out your workout, they don't want to play for you, that's just it. You're not going to draft them. Players have a lot more power these days. They can control where they're going to go simply by not working out for somebody. I think... Uh, the 2017 draft, uh, Boston was was considering drafting Lonzo Ball, and he didn't work out for any team but the Lakers. So it's just, it's just is what it is with these players these days. They have a lot more control, and I don't blame RJ Barrett. I mean, no, no disrespect to anybody from Memphis listening, but if I had my choice of you know, playing for New York or one of these big markets or Memphis. Memphis would definitely be down the list towards the bottom. So, hey, it is what it is. R.J. Bear is trying to get in a big
0: market. Yeah, you brought up a good point with Lonzo Ball. It's kind of funny with the Celtics too is – I remember after the, the trade happened, we gave up the first overall pick. Everyone's like, oh, the next best guy in that is going to be Josh Jackson. We want Josh Jackson. Mm. And all around Boston, it was Josh Jackson, this, Josh Jackson, that. He's going to he's gonna be raising banner 18 to Boston. And then he refuses to work out with the Celtics. And it was a blessing in disguise. We got Jason Tatum out of it. Definitely. Um, so <laughs> it's just kind of funny how those things work out. So who knows? Maybe Memphis is uh, biting the bullet on it. Um, so only time will tell with that. Um, Stacy, what are your thoughts on the R.J. Barrett situation?
3: Like Mike said, players are taking more control of their destiny now. If he does not want to play for Memphis, then he doesn't want to play for Memphis, and the Grizzlies, they should not pick him. Like Mike said, I, I agree with him. Uh, if I had a choice between New York City and Memphis, Tennessee, 10 out of 10, I'm going to New York City. And who who can blame them? Because the, the Knicks, they have the resources they have the money to have what it takes to build a better team than the Memphis Grizzlies does. The Memphis Grizzlies, they like a mid-market team, and the New York Knicks, they're a major market team, even though they have not been great these past some odd years. But still, you still want to take New York over Memphis in that situation. So I see where RJ Burr is coming from. He's just trying to maximize on his potential, on his star potential, trying to get endorsement deals and whatever he can get his money in the NBA. At the same time, you know, have a solid and productive
0: career. Like like I
3: mentioned before, he can be one of the star players coming out of this draft.
0: Yeah, you brought up a good point. Obviously, New York's a more fun city than Memphis. But New York Knicks also have two max contract slots. So that has to be appealing to know that they, they can rebuild and actually have a good team on the floor starting next season. Uh, what are your thoughts on that situation?
2: I would agree with the entire like incentive of staying with that New York market and wanting to secure that third position. If you know, the Knicks (laughs) seem pretty confident that they're going to take them. Um, I'm a little bit disappointed in RJ Barrett to be completely honest. I don't know if it's related at all to, uh, you know, John Morant surgery, And if, you know, Memphis wants to see all their other prospects, but I think that's a great opportunity for any young player to go into that position. Maybe I'm a little bit biased, but I know the players that are, you know, that you're going to be going into that situation with, I think they're going to keep uh, Jonas Valanciunas in Memphis. I expect Daylon Wright to still be there and um, whether or not they trade or let go of Mike Conley, I think Mike Conley is a proven, you know, solid point guard. I think you can do a lot worse than a Mike Conley. But uh, you know RJ Barrett, I think he's got he's faced a lot of criticism. You know he you know Zion Williamson always got the attention, and you know if he <laughs> wants to stay in New York, if that's like what he has his heart set on, then you know I understand. You know it's a business; you got to do what you got to do. But I also think you know the opportunity to step up and be the face of a franchise, you know, bring them back to you know, relevancy. I think that's an interesting opportunity. I wouldn't. Uh, I think John Morant's going to take a going to take hold of that better than RJ Barrett would.
0: Fair, and it, and it's funny you brought up a point how. You know, R.J. Barrett's dead set that he wants to go to New York. It's kind of funny that rumors are leaking out now that the Knicks want to trade their number three overall pick to Atlanta, the Atlanta Hawks, for the eighth and tenth pick. So there is no guarantee that R.J. Barrett's going to end up in New York, which I find kind of funny. Um, but you know, with that whole trade scenario and and uh, you know Atlanta getting the number three pick, how does that change things? Stacey, we'll start with you.
3: Atlanta's not a bad city either for uh, R.J. Barrett. They're pretty good. But thinking about this trade. I think that the Knicks are trying to get a star player to go to New York. Uh, if they get two first round picks out of this trade, that's going to be all the more attractive for whoever they're trying to aim for, whether it be Anthony Davis, whether it be Kyrie Irving, or whoever. So uh, if the Knicks can make this move and then land a star player after that, then I'm all for it.
0: Okay. Bark have any different thoughts?
2: Uh, no, I think that's, you know, it basically sums it up right there it it would be an interesting trade i think for atlanta's perspective i think a trey young rj barrett if they you know so choose to go with rj barrett would be quite interesting backcourt especially pairing with uh john collins who's a fantastic player i think that's a great trade for atlanta i think both teams really win in that trade uh i wouldn't be surprised if that happens okay michael any different thoughts no, mostly the same. I agree. I, I am actually intrigued by a
1: combo of Trey Young, R.J. Baird and, and Jonathan Collins in Atlanta. You know, Atlanta was definitely an exciting team to watch this past year. So just adding another high profile young talent would be great for them um, as far as the Knicks who would be moving down in that situation. Uh, like Stacy said, they're, they're gearing up to try to get a star. And if they end up not getting a star, I guess they'll pick some lower level talent down down the totem pole a little bit. I mean, there's still some 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 guys, I think, that are getting a little overlooked in the draft that could contribute. You know, there's a Cam Reddish who's predicted to be around that area. Um, There's a Jackson Hayes. it's, It's a lot of people around there and a lot of things that they're doing, but they're definitely trying to stockpile those picks and see what, they do, see what they can do to go from trashy to classy. They're trying to be a championship contender next year. So they're going to do whatever they can to stockpile those picks up. So, hey, I think it would be a good trade for both sides.
0: Yeah, if, if Atlanta could secure that number three pick, that's definitely going to make them an interesting team for sure with all the young talent they have, obviously led by Trey Young. It's definitely something to watch for. And, and you know, Nick's getting 8-10. and 10, There's still going to be some good prospects down there, you know, kind of looking at the potential picks right now. Um, it's kind of headlined by the Cam Reddish, Nasir Little, Area Jackson Hayes, as you would mentioned, so there's definitely some good prospects that are still going to be left down at the 8-10 spot. Um, so that's definitely a good trade for both, I think, um, as you all have mentioned. But moving on from the draft news, we're going to move to our next segment, the hot take segment. Our usual guy, Ben, is not here this week either. He's studying for finals, so Ben, good luck with your finals. Go get A's. School is important. Um, so with that said, we're going to have Michael take over again, and on that hot take segment.
1: All right. So let's get into our hot takes of the week. I got two big ones for you guys. But first, let's start with the hot take of the night from the truth, Paul Pierce, even though he doesn't always seem to be telling the truth. So tonight, after the Warriors game two win, Paul Pierce said that the Raptors' confidence is fractured after this loss, and they're in big trouble going forward in the series. So I'll ask you guys, does Paul Pierce have a point or is this a hot take? Uh, let's start with Barkev since you are a Raptor native. Let's go.
2: I don't trust anything Paul Pierce says <laughs> regarding Toronto basketball. He's not a fan. I think he generally gets a kick out of uh, trolling the Toronto Raptors fan base online because they'll they'll be quick to let him know. Believe me, um, I think he's. I think he's speaking just trying to be a trendy because they didn't make any shots in that second half. There was like a lid on the rim for the Raptors. So, right. I mean, it's hard to dispute the fact their confidence wasn't shaken because they had some you know, pretty wide open looks. So I'm not going to you know disagree with Paul Pierce. Uh, if he's not already in the Hall of Fame, he's definitely uh, going to be in it. He's a Hall of Famer. He knows what he's talking about. But uh, I think he's just you know prodding the Raptors fans a little bit with that.
1: Yeah, I would have to agree. When you have a veteran team like the Raptors, they don't seem like the type of team whose confidence could get shaken off one bad shooting no. night. Uh, uh, Stacy, what do you think?
3: Come on, Paul. Paul, they—they <laughs> they, they not no, no. Their confidence is not shaken or fractured or anything like that. They just had a bad shooting night for one. They couldn't find a bucket in the second half. And then, number two, they try to play more up tempo. They try to play a little bit more of the Warriors style, and that didn't work for them. So, they're going to adjust, recalibrate, and then they're going to be better in game three. This Raptors team is very tough. They've been a great defensive team all year. They got one of the toughest players in the league leading them in Kawhi Leonard. And then Fred fan fleet to follow that, they're gonna be fine. They're gonna be fine going forward. They can still win. They they have a great shot of being the Golden State Warriors.
1: Yeah, I would have to agree. Like I like I said again, one game, one bad shooting night doesn't define a team. Barkev, what were you saying earlier?
2: Yeah, it's for me it's you know, to there's their confidence. Last year, when the Raptors, you know, lost that game one to the Cavs when they couldn't make that tip in. That's a, that's how you lose confidence, I think. But this team, like you know, previous was said, you know, Marcus Saul Kawhi Leonard, Danny Green, those guys don't lose confidence. Right. I I I agree. Those are all veterans. Go ahead, Stacey.
3: Yeah, they they're built different this year. They're built different. And Kawhi Leonard is that reason why they're going to have that confidence.
1: Right. And and another thing as far as the Raptors being different, look, Kawhi Leonard. DeMar DeRozan, superstar compared to star. It's it's a whole different. There's levels to this. It's a mm-hmm. whole different class. Uh, J- Jordan, what do you think about his hot take?
0: Paul, my guy, thank you for my banner in 2008. I really appreciate it. <laughs> but why is everything coming out of your mouth lately turning into a hot take? You are turning into the next Stephen A. Smith. What are you talking about? The Raptors went down 0-2 to the Milwaukee Bucks and then won the next four. Mm. What's saying they're not going to do the same here and win the next three and then win? Like, come on, Paul. They only lost by a couple points. I I really don't know what he was talking about here. Um, you know, I hate disagreeing with the truth, but lately he's becoming the false. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't really know what else to say besides that.
1: Yeah, it, it just doesn't make much sense when you look at a team that's faced adversity in the playoffs like the Raptors have already did you know, losing the Philly big like they did early. And I think they lost game one to Orlando. And then, like mm-hmm. you just said, winning four in a row against the Bucks. It's really just hard to believe a team could lose confidence after one game, especially seeing as when they look across the court, they see guys like Steph Curry hurt. Uh, Clay Thompson's going out hurt. Looney's out hurt. Iggy's limping around. You guys couldn't hit a shot tonight, end up ultimately having a chance to win off a steal. You missed the steal, he makes a three. You know, the game was a lot closer than you know people would make it seem. So, yeah, Paul Pierce on that. I have no clue what he's going through, <laughs> but hey, you can't tell the truth all the time. <laughs> but <laughs> let's let's move on to our next hot take that we got. So, Rick Bucher from Fox he reported that Kyrie Irving has narrowed his choices down. For free agency, fellas, are you ready for the Brooklyn Nets and the Los Angeles Lakers? So, what do you guys think about that? Do you think his list choice is really down to those two teams? Do you think anybody's still left in it? Let's start with you, Stacy.
3: I think there's a couple teams that they're going to be in it. I think the Knicks, they are a player in this, and I think him returning to Boston is another option. But uh these two choices are not surprising. If I had to make a choice between the two, I would say he should go to Brooklyn more than the Los Angeles Lakers because, I mean, what you did all that for in Cleveland to get out of there, to run your own team, just to go back and play with LeBron. I mean, come on now. You can't do that to yourself. And I think that he would definitely be a focal point with the Brooklyn Nets. And the Brooklyn Nets, they all, they all on the rise. They are on the rise. A lot of eyes are on them for next season. So, These two are 1-2 and or 1-A and 1-B, if you will. So I would choose Brooklyn in this situation of who you going to go to. But, you know, I'm not surprised at all.
1: Yeah, I would have to agree with you that, you know, Boston and New York, I think they're still in the running. New York simply because of the market and who it is. And, you know, Kyrie's close from the area. So I think they're still in the running. And then Boston, while he may have had his trouble with some of the younger guys, some of those guys are going to be gone this upcoming offseason. And when you when you look at it, Danny Ainge has to make a decision. Would you rather have Kyrie Irving or Terry Rozier? I think that's pretty cut, clean, and dry. So, yeah, I would have to agree with you that those other two teams are still in the running. What about you, Jordan?
0: All right, I'm going to try to remain calm here and, and not vent and <laughs> scream and yell. Um, I think it's down to, as you said, the Brooklyn Nets, the Lakers. I'd also throw the Knicks in there. Um, I would say the Celtics, but not the way you'd think. I think if he signs with the Celtics, it's going to be a sign and trade um, because we can offer him that super max deal. Ideally, I'd love to see a sign and trade to Brooklyn. Maybe we could get D'Lo and send Irving over there. Um, I think that would work out for both sides. But um, in in Boston, Irving's been more trouble than he's worth. You know, we went far without him. Obviously, there's no doubt that he is the most talented player on the team. But uh, he he didn't fit in with Brad Stevens' system. He didn't mesh well with the players. he, he didn't. Wasn't really a good teammate in that sense, you know. Um, Just rumors coming out from the locker room after the season's over. You know, Terry Rozier saying that there's no way he's going back to Boston if Irving's there. It's just Irving's not worth the trouble in Boston. So I I, I think there's no way that he's staying at Boston.
1: Yeah, going on to your Nets point, that's a very interesting dynamic. You can kind of look at him considering Brooklyn. I mean, D'Angelo Russell could be a free agent this offseason. So going there, you have guys like Spencer Dinwiddie, Karis LeVert you have veterans like Jared Dudley and Damari Carroll you have a nice young center in um, Jared Allen so that that's definitely a team to look at especially in the east where once LeBron left it seemed like the east opened wide I mean granted it was a four-team race in the end but who's to say a team like Brooklyn adding Kyrie Irving couldn't be up next you know they were (laughs) in the playoffs this year so I think that Nets
2: perspective is definitely something we should look at Barkev what do you think about this? You know, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens with Kyrie Irving because, you know, I thought before, you know, New Orleans was blessed with the number one pick in the draft, I thought, you know, Tatum and a sign for or trade for Anthony Davis was, you know, inevitable. I figured Boston would have, you know, took the Kawhi and the Raptors approach, take that one year, pitch him on the city, get ahead of that free agency. And you have Kyrie Irving, who, you know, presumably would have been extended on a long term deal at that point. So um, with Zion. I, I don't know how willing the Pelicans would be to take a, a Jason Tatum in a trade. Jason Tatum's a phenomenal player. I'm sure they can make it work. I think Kyrie. You know, I think he needs to go to the Lakers. I think rekindling with LeBron and you know being able to take over that team when it's done. You know he's always Kobe Bryant's always been in his ear. I'm sure he's getting the same kind of advice. Uh, I would love to see that uh, that duo kind of repaired, and I think they could do a lot of damage that that pair in the West, even with LeBron being another year older. But uh, in between Brooklyn and the Lakers, I would hope the Lakers because I don't see him kind of coexisting with D'Angelo Russell. I, would D'Angelo Russell be kind of moved to the two guard, or would you know is this not with him in consideration on the team? Uh, it's 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 going to be interesting to see where he goes. He's a difference maker. I think he's probably one of the most talented players in the NBA. I think like pound for pound, when you look at all of his skills top to bottom, he's got the clutch factor. He can put the ball anywhere. He can shoot from anywhere. I look. I'd love to see him back in, with the Lakers. Not back with Lakers, but back with LeBron.
1: Yeah. Um. Anybody who thinks a free agent is coming to L.A. is cool with me. So I appreciate that. Uh, <laughs> you know, Kyrie being in L.A. back with LeBron as a Laker fan, I would say I'm not totally against it. It's not my first choice. But if you look at it, how he would fit, maybe you could move him off ball. Lonzo Ball's your primary point guard. He can take on the best defense. He could play. He could take on the best defensive assignments. Kyrie can be just more of a scorer for that team. Then you also have LeBron. The thing about that, that kind of that I kind of question though is how much does Kyrie really care about what people say? I mean, he could say he doesn't, but how much? Because going back to LeBron, ah, no matter what you say, like ah, I just seen the light. I realized he was right. It just looks bad. It looks like you're just crawling back to Big Brother Braun, you know, after you couldn't get it done with your own team. So that's going to be something eternally that he's going to have to figure out within himself. But I think ultimately that could keep him from going to L.A. What do you think about that?
0: I got got two things to say. Uh, First off, uh, the man definitely doesn't care what anyone thinks. He went out (laughs) and publicly said that he thinks the earth is flat. So let's get that out of the way. He doesn't give two craps what anyone else thinks. Um, and, you know, back to something that Barkev said, um, real quick, you know, about the Jason Tatum and the Anthony Davis thing. Um, I do have some sources that have said that the Celtics have already moved on from Kyrie and now they're focusing on rebuilding around Tatum and Brown. Um, so I honestly don't see Anthony Davis in Boston next year. Um, I know that's kind of off topic from Kyrie, but, um, yeah, my, my sources are saying that they're looking for trades to build around Tatum and Brown.
1: So as far as, let's just dive into that just for a second, building around Tatum and Brown, not going after Anthony Davis. Do you think that's the right move, being a Boston fan?
0: Um, I would be okay with it. You know, obviously Davis is a great player. Um, You know, I I think Tatum and Brown have a really high ceiling, and I think they've kind of been clouded by, you know, sharing the court with um, just highly skilled players, especially like Kyrie. And, you know, I I think there are some moves to be made. You know, they have smart locked up for the next four years or three years now, and he's obviously a high-quality player, whether you either hate him or love him, but, but you know, he, he, he's clutch. He can perform on the court. Um, you know, if they could get rid of Hayward, Horford would take a, a team-friendly deal. They, they could free up some cap space, uh, possibly make a splash in the free agency, especially when they're getting rid of Kyrie. Um, you know, they, they have draft picks for days, so they could try to use those as a trade bait as well, or draft another young talent to prospect Um, You know, you know, there's no need to blow up the team for Anthony Davis at the moment. I I don't see it.
1: Yeah, I I think I would agree with you. And when you have someone like Danny Ainge at the forefront of your your team, he's going to do whatever he thinks is the smartest option. That man is a wizard. Yeah. and, and, And the best option. So whether that be building around Tatum and Brown or trading for more picks and going from there. I think this offseason for Boston, we're, we're, we're going to see a lot happen and a lot can change in just one offseason. So I'll be eager to see what happens from there. But that ends my hot take segment, guys. Thanks.
0: Awesome. Thank you very much, Mike. We hope to see you back next week, Ben. Um, but moving on to the, the last quick thing of the episode, we thought we'd end it off on a fun way. I got this idea from a friend. Uh, we're going to talk about the Mount Rushmore of the NBA. So with that, we're going to think of the NBA we pick four people that would be on the Mount Rushmore of the NBA. So we'll go through, just say all your four and give reasons why. And then at the end, we can kind of debate, discuss, see similarities, differences. Uh, but we'll start with you, Stacey. All
3: right. The four players that I picked for my Mount Rushmore for all time. The reason why I picked these four is because these were all the players today derived their game from. This is who they got their game from. These are the players who are key in implementing what's going on throughout the history of the NBA. So, here's my four. Number one, of course, got to have Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan, number one. Perhaps the greatest player to ever play in the NBA. Probably will hold on to that number one spot. And number two, I have Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Define the way the center position is played. That painted skyhook. His longevity in the NBA champion had to pick. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Number three, He defined find a way point guards playing in the NBA. Mr. Showtime, Magic Johnson. Magic Johnson I had to pick him for number three. And then number four, this guy is like one of the fathers of the NBA. He had the trophy named after him. Won a bunch of championships with the Celtics. Mr. Bill Russell. Mr. Bill Russell. <laughs> the only player that gave Will Chamberlain nightmares. So those are my four right
0: there. Okay. Michael, let's see what you have to say.
1: All right. So I had made a list, but <laughs> it just seemed too cliche. It just seemed too like, okay, I knew he was going to pick him. So here is my Mount Rushmore. It's a little bit different. Don't you guys argue with me. All right. Here it goes. I got Kobe Bryant. On my Mount Rushmore. No arguments there. No No arguments for me. No.
0: No. Oh, my God.
1: Eight. You can put number eight. You can put number 24. I don't care which one you want. Make sure he's on that statue. Make sure you got the Kobe fade on it, though, with the fro. I want the fro. So give me number eight. Next, I got Michael Jordan. Yes, Kobe learned from him, but I don't care. Michael Jordan, you know, well-renowned and the best player of all time. So I got Jordan on there. Next, I got Mr. Steph Curry. Changed the game with the three-point shot. He practically eliminated centers from the game. If you can't get out there and guard, you can't play because of Steph Curry. Remember, this used to be a center league. Now it is a guards league no matter what. Steph Curry changed the game. And my last guy, you weren't even going to guess this. Hey, man, I'm from Hampton, Virginia, Newport News. Allen Iverson is going on my Mount Rushmore of NBA players of all time. Change the game, the style, the swag, the cornrows, the clothes. That's my Mount Rushmore. Don't argue with me.
0: (laughs) Oh, man. Oh, man. There's so many things I want to say. All right. I'm going to add Marcus Smart to my Mount Rushmore. Hang on. Just kidding. Do
2: it. Um,
0: (laughs) All right. move on, though. Farkev, who do you have in your Mount Rushmore?
2: Oh, man. I have a slightly less provocative list, but I do enjoy. I, th- I think you have Kobe on it for both 8 and 24. Just two of the spaces for Kobe. No, I'm totally kidding. Exactly. Um no, uh, The first spot, I think, would have to be Michael Jordan. You know, what he did for the brand of basketball. You know, just getting people excited. You know, really taking that torch from, you know, Larry Bird and Magic Johnson. Um, my next spot would be Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. The man's won literally every basketball accolade you could think of. One of the most like, impressive careers from top to bottom when you think about the longevity and how he played at such, a young, uh, such an old age. Third, I would have Magic. You know, that 80s Showtime era with him and Bird and those battles defining a generation. Magic Johnson is one of the, like, one of the all-time great, greatest human beings ever. And for my fourth pick, it, you know, it was hard to go against a pick like Bill Russell when you think about how many championships the man actually has. You know, was yes. it 11 and 13 years, including being a player coach? Uh, for my fourth pick, I picked his rival. I picked Wilt Chamberlain. I think you oh. know he's he's uh, he's one of those guys with where his spot in history. You almost don't even take it seriously. And I think it was Jalen Rose was saying on one of his shows that like his his records are almost comedic. Like no one's ever going to touch them. You know, fifty points per game. He's, he claims to average a point where he averaged seventy points a game around the time he had the hundred point game in uh, Philadelphia. So I think Wilt Chamberlain, the myth, the legend. You know. Some great interviews of him on YouTube. I highly suggest checking them out. Just a fascinating human being. So, yeah, Michael, Kareem, Magic, and Wilt is my Matt Rushmore.
0: Okay. Well, I'm kind of excited. I still have two people that haven't been said yet. So I'll get the other two out of the way. Obviously, I have MJ. There's no debate about that. Greatest player of all time. That's not going to change. Stacey, I appreciated you for saying that. (laughs) Um, Number two, Bill Russell, Celtic legend. 12, 11 NBA championships, my bad. 12-time All-Star. The guy is an animal. There's no doubt that he needs to be on every single Mount Rushmore of the NBA ever created. If you leave him out, that's just a crime. Um, next up, I have Oscar Robertson. Um, mm. No, he's not the greatest player of all time, and there's no arguments about it, but it's more for what he did for the league. Um, he fought a lot for civil rights and, and you know getting black players the same privileges as the white players had, and um, I don't know if you guys know this. He also fought a lot for like the free agency and how that's currently set up. and A, a lot of the modern-day free agency rights and stuff like that are, are due to Oscar Robertson. He allowed that players can be put on contracts that um, they have to expire. It can't be forever. Um, that they can negotiate the money. It's not just a set cost. Um, so that's kind of all attributed to Oscar Robertson. So, so he just changed the game a lot and, and kind of opened it up. And My fourth one. I think this is going to be the biggest surprise and get the most reactions out of everyone, I have Dirk Nowitzki. So, so, Hear my reasoning for this. I think that Dirk Nowitzki, and I don't think it's seen as much yet as it will be in the future, opened up the league for foreign players. And you're already starting to see it trickle in with the amount of international players coming into the league, headlined by most likely Rookie of the Year, Luka Doncic. Um, I, I think looking back, you're going to see that Dirk Nowitzki had more of an impact than it's known right now. Um, Just kind of open the door for international players and, and, you know, allowing NBA scouts to say, okay, there is talent outside of the United States. And you're already seeing in the draft boards um, the amount of international players that are currently on, whether they're playing overseas or they played in college, but they came from overseas. And and now you're even seeing some players foregoing college and going straight overseas. So um, I think Dirk Nowitzki is definitely going to have a huge impact in the game, um, whether it's seen now or a little bit more in the future. But, Yeah. Any thoughts on that? I would say that that was probably a big shock for you guys.
1: No, I mean, I, it's a shock, but I mean, you're, you're right. He he was definitely one of the pathfinders, if you will, for all, you know, international players. So I have no problem with you picking him.
0: Yeah, and I, and I liked your Steph Curry pick. I reacted to it, but I was also thinking about putting him. I was thinking about Curry, LeBron, and... Um, Kareem. Those are my three. Oh, and Larry Bird. Those are my decision makers between that last spot. But yeah, you're right. Curry changed the game. He's making it a three-point shooting. It's all about the perimeter shot. And now you're finding, as you mentioned, that if you can't shoot a three, you better be Boban Marjanovic and seven (laughs) feet tall. Otherwise, it's not really going to be a good fit. Um, Yeah, that was my thought. Any other comments?
2: I like it. I I think Dirk has done a lot. I think, you know, we think about the early to mid-2000s when he was really as like a star power forward amongst Kevin Garnett and Tim Duncan. He was really the only, you know, star four that was really kind of stretching the floor, hitting threes at a clip that he was doing. You know, you've always had a stretch four player. You know, a guy like Bob McAdoo back in the day was like probably the original stretch big man. But Dirk was a sniper from down court. I would have no argument there. Yeah, the
3: names that y'all brought up, Dirk Nowitzki, Steph Curry, and, and Alan Iverson. You know initially it's a shock to have them on the mount rushmore but after you know hearing you guys reasoning i think that kind of shift the conversation a little bit i can see that dirt did introduce the stretch four forward in the game opened up the game for european players to come in for players here in the united states to go out there Then steph curry did change the game with the three point shot stretching the floor all the way out and then out announcing he did shift the game culturally In the NBA. And he was not afraid to be himself. And I think that sticks out to a lot of players that look to Allen Iverson as well.
0: Okay. Well, one last thing. I want to do an honorable mention. So let's go around one more time. Anyone that you wanted to add but you just didn't have a Mm -hmm. spot for, they can have a little statue at the bottom of the the mountain. Um, Barkev, we'll start with you.
2: Um, I think, you know, I'm going to kind of go off in a different direction here, um, for the honorable mention. I think even he could even have a space on the board. I'd have to put, uh, David Stern as my honorable mention. I think when he took over the league, I think it was 1985, maybe around there. I, I want to say 85. You got to think about the growth in the league from 85 till about, you know, a few years ago when Adam Silver took the reins, you know, the game grew in such ways. I, I think David Stern would get that nod for me, but only for, for a player, I think LeBron, I, I wish I could put LeBron on my Mount Rushmore just as is.
0: Okay. Yeah, I feel like that can't really be argued. He definitely yeah. has the skill. Uh, Stacey, what about you?
3: I have LeBron in, in my consideration. He's uh, in that honorable mention spot. You know, came in the game straight out of high school, 2003, dominated league within a few years. You know, he gets a lot of hate. He gets a lot of trolling jobs on Twitter and all over social media. But when he retires and when he leaves the game, everybody is going to appreciate what he done for the league not only on the court but his contributions off the court as well starting the i promise academy in Akron Ohio and things of that nature
0: okay michael any different thoughts uh
1: yeah, for me, if I had to add someone, it'd probably be Shannon Brown from the Lakers. No, no. All, <laughs> all, all, all jokes aside, if I had to ask somebody, I, I'm in agreement. LeBron James. I'm, I I was never the biggest fan, but just what he's done for the game, as far as on the court, off court, his his work in Cleveland, what and whatever his endeavors coming down the line. LeBron is definitely one of a kind. Definitely the true definition of a superstar and a philanthropist. So. I'm going with LeBron.
0: Yeah, well, you guys know me. You know that if there is one person I hate in the NBA, it's LeBron James. I can't stand him. I hate every muscle and bone in his body until the day he retires. Um, But, yeah, I got to give my honorable mention to LeBron. Just everything he's done for the league, his dominance, the way he's held himself. And, you know, he's just genuinely a good person. You know, open up that school for the the kids in Ohio. And, yeah, he, he definitely earns that spot. No, no argument from me, but it, it, I'm cringing saying those words. Just so you guys know. <laughs> yeah, but but that that's all we have for this week's episode, Barkev. I want to thank you for coming on. It's been awesome having you. Thank you. Um, we'll have to have you on again soon. Absolutely. Um, Stacy and Michael always—they're they, here. You guys know them. Um, but next week we have a big surprise. I tweeted it out a little bit earlier today. For next week, our guy Yusuf made some connections. We are going to have James Edwards as our guest next week
3: from The
0: Athletic. He is a beat writer of the Detroit Pistons. Um, He's currently writing for The Athletic. So we're very honored to have him. We're very excited. um, So be ready for that next week. Um, Other than that, anything else you guys want to add?
1: Go Lakers.
0: Go Celtics. I'll rebuttal that right away. We the North. Fair. All right. We'll go with we the North for now. (laughs) All right. Thank you guys for listening, and we'll see you guys next week.
1: You're tuned in to Last Word Radio. Last word on sports.com. And that is the last, last word.